Hey, welcome to Project Recovery, a podcast about addiction. More importantly, it's about recovery. I'm Casey Scott. That's Dr. Matt Woolley. He's a clinical psychologist and uh, back from vacation. Yeah, took a little break. I went on spring break with my kids. Well, not all my kids. My oldest kid, uh, Presley, the one who wrote the letter. Uh, she's graduating this year. Yep, uh, senior in high school. I, yep. I've got some amazing news. What's that? So... She just got a full ride to the University of Utah. Wow. Yeah. That's awesome. And it, it, or? We're not sure. <laughs> Still, nobody really knows. Ah, uh, the Scott magic it's happens crazy. again. It's, it's, it's called Luckiest so, man I know. It's like the four Utah scholarship or something like that. And, and I, Is it's, it academic? Is she like, yeah, she I mean, like she, a 4.0 student? No, but she's Close. smart. And she yeah. did good on the ACT. And, and I go, how did you get this? And she goes, Dad, I'm not really sure. Because there's a lot of people that are way smarter than me and did better on the ACT. But she did all of her paperwork and FASPA or whatever it is and put stuff in and, and did it. You know what I mean? And so now she's got a full ride to the University of Utah. Wow. Like financial aid paperwork? Yeah. Why did she fill that out if she's getting a full ride? Well, I, I don't know. We don't know. We just did what we're... There's a lot to be discovered here. Yeah, like. but we yeah. just did what we were supposed to do. And once yeah. again, it's kind of like how I'm doing my recovery. I'm just doing what I'm supposed to do. And good things happen. You know, and, and yeah. so now she's ready to go. And uh, I mean, it's... she going to stay in the dorms? No. Well, so we talked about this. And, 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 and I kind of wanted to talk to you about this because yeah. I remember my first year in college. The first time I left my parents' home, mm-hmm. uh, moved up and moved into a fraternity house, Logan, Utah. Logan, Utah, Utah State. Yep. And um, what was what? What was the fraternity? Sigma Chi. Okay. Uh, Gamma Kappa chapter. Gamma Kappa chapter. And yeah. uh, but and, and 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 this is no reflection upon them, but I was not prepared for what was about to happen. It's a little bit of a reflection on them. I don't know if you know much about the Greek system, but. I but I but I know in my recovery that I can't blame them for anything. Okay, that's fair. You know, but you know it's what I mean? still a little bit about. I that. had choices, and I know there's a lot of people that went through the fraternity system that didn't end up alcoholics. That's and, true, and that ended up uh, going on to become you know very professional in their. There are good things about it. Yeah, um, and so I told her, and we just had this conversation yesterday, and she goes, "Dad, what do you think I should do?" And I go, "What do you want to do?" And she goes, "I don't know. That's why I'm asking you." And I said, "Well." Honestly, I think it would be best for you to stay home for your first year and Mm -hmm. commute until you figure out what college is all about. I said, I really want you to get the experience of living with friends and and doing all that. But I think, you know, with this scholarship and having to maintain a certain GPA and all that, I don't want you to find yourself overwhelmed Mm -hmm. the first year. So if it was up to me, and it's not because you're 18 and you can do what you want to do. I would stay at the house and commute and figure it out because college is different, honey, because they don't care if you show up. They're not going to hound you for your assignments. Right. And, and it, it, it's not like high school. I'm not going to get a phone call every time you miss class or any time you check in late. It's all on you. Mm-hmm. So until you figure out what it's all about and what you want to do, I don't want you to be overwhelmed your first year because I think a lot of people are. And, yeah. I, and, and I think they're more overwhelmed with the social aspect than the academic aspect. That's if, true. A lot that, of people can't handle that immediate freedom that they've never had before. You know, and, 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 and right now she's got a great. You know, she's got people doing her laundry. There's always a full fridge. And then you go there and it, it's, it's kind of the wild, wild west. And, 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 Sink or swim. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and I think there's a valuable lesson there because you find out who you really are. 
But yeah. there are some pitfalls well, that you GPA can fall in. by college year, freshman year statistically is the lowest mm-hmm. GPA because people are figuring things out. So they're making mistakes. They're staying up too late. They might be partying or at the very least they just don't know how to do college. I think that happened to me. I went to a small high school. Uh, didn't really tr- – academics in high school weren't that important to me. Like I, I could kind of show up and get a B and that was good enough. Yeah. And I was focused on friends and sports and stuff. So when I showed up at college, I remember about halfway through that s- first semester, I was like, oh, I don't really know how to study. Yeah. So you have to learn those things. Yeah. If you and, haven't already. And, and and I think if you look back at a lot of uh, high school years, I mean, there is diff- – I mean, there's an academic and, and it's supposed to be the most important. But let's be honest. It's not. There's athletes and there's dances and there's cliques. In high and, school? Yeah. 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 So I would say this. Advice to her from, from a college professor. And a graduate. And a graduate. Yeah, I did that. A um, couple of thoughts. I always tell people first semester – Take the minimum number of credits and make sure you have at least one fun class in there. Okay. Okay. Number two, for freshmen, especially if they're commuting, find out about all the freshmen social activities and make sure she goes to those. They're usually right the week before in the first month of school, but she needs to get integrated. Otherwise, she might feel sort of like she's not part of the campus and all of that. Uh, Number three, another bit of advice I always give is learn to study on campus. So, you know, what a lot of high school kids do their freshman year is they're like, oh, I only have three or four classes. And so I can just go home afterwards, back to their dorm or back to their house or whatever. And you get all the distractions sink in. So I usually say pack a little lunch, go up, have your classes, eat, and then go to the library at least for two hours. Get as much done as you can on campus because she'll be more focused and not as likely to come home and sink into all the comforts of, of home. I really like that third one. I mean, I like the first two, uh, but the third one, good. Treat it. I said, honey, this is such a gift. I mean, not only to you, but to me and, and your mother. The, it, yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's yeah. financially. It's, it, a, it's it, a huge gift. It's and a so gift. if she can keep her GPA up, GPA up, she can keep that scholarship, which For is awesome. For four years. Yeah. No, that's fantastic. And, and, and I go, but it takes a plan. Yeah. And I go, you you need to treat this like a job. And I think, because right now, this is your Job. I think they have a required freshman uh, class that they take. Just most, kind of, most schools do. Yeah, to get oriented. They didn't do that when I was a student, but um, to get oriented to the campus and learn. And she should find out like the study resources. There's a lot of tutoring resources. I also tell college kids and high school kids, tutoring isn't because you're dumb. Tutoring is because you're smart. If you have a challenging class the, in the East Coast. The culture academically is everyone has a tutor. Mm-hmm. The reason is it's like, oh, it's better. I'm going to learn physics and chemistry and math better if I have some one-on-one. Ancillary. Yeah. There you go. Right. That's a good that's word. That's a good huh? word. You've been uh, waiting to use that. That means in addition. <laughs> yes. I know yes. what it means. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, that word was brought to you by Casey Scott, C-Money. Yeah. Um, but, uh, yeah, so I, I think she should just find out all those resources, learn how to be a good college student. Don't overwhelm yourself with classes. Learn to study on campus. And then college can be some of the funnest times of your life. Oh, and so that's the other part of it. I go, hey, I want you to get an education. I think that's very important. But I also want you to figure out who you are and what you like. Because I think that's – like she almost wanted to do some online college. And I go, I think that's good. Nah. 
I don't care. I yeah, said let's no. Just, let's just say it. Nah. I said no. I, I was like, that's, that's for when you're older and you're yeah. trying to work. And, and you got kids at and home. It makes sense yeah. then. But when you're a college kid, go to college. I said go there. Find out. Because yeah. maybe you're, you're, you have a different group of friends that you haven't been exposed to yet. The only friends you've been exposed to right now are, are people that live in our neighborhood. And you're for the right. most part. I call it friends by geography. Yes. Right? That's the only reason you're friends is because they live in your neighborhood. Yeah. And they went to your elementary school. Yeah. But college is great because now you can find friends that are From more like you. From all over the country. Yeah. yeah, all over the world. Or and, different than yeah, you. And yeah, and find out what you like, you know. I said, and so it, it's going to be interesting. I'm, I'm kind of excited, uh, you know. Yeah. To, to, Are you worried about her partying, though? Have you talked to her about that? Have you had the conversation? I yeah, mean, you're we, pretty open with your kids about Yeah, it. we have an open conversation about drinking, you know, and she hasn't drank uh, yet. I think she would tell me, you know, and I just had to sit him down. I go, hey, listen, um, your dad had it, your grandpa. What about weed? No weed either. Kids, kids aren't drinking these days no, like they used to. No, and and no weed, and 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 like even no vaping. I said, "Have you vaped?" And she's like, "No." I go, "Come on, you've had to vape." She goes, "No, Dad, I haven't." Good for her because vaping is the worst. Yeah, and and you, you want to talk about a gateway? Yeah, vaping. There's just nothing, nothing good comes no. from gape, vaping. But what about uh, what about mushrooms? No mushrooms. That's a big high school thing right now. Mushrooms are have a resurgence right now. Yeah, they're all over. I, I've talked to the three high school kids this month. Who have tried mushrooms for the really? first time since January? Yeah. Well, they're decriminalizing them in a lot of states, and there's and well, I, that's another argument, like wah. decriminalizing drugs, and there's probably some good reasons for that. But it's interesting how drug use is sort of fashionable. Yeah, when you and I were younger, it was alcohol. Yeah, right, and tobacco products and things like that. Nowadays, uh, most kids are kind of like, "Why would I drink? That's dumb." They don't really want to drink. I'm, some do, but it's it's weed, and now it's becoming the the psychedelics. Well, I think the other stuff is easier to hide as, for a student and for a young person. I it's mean, hard to, it's hard to hide when you're drunk in school. Yeah, yeah and, and your breath and your eyes and, yeah. and your mannerisms and whatever. I yeah, it, 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 it's a. I, I don't know. I mean, I've had this talk with her, and I don't know if she's going to drink. I I hope she doesn't. But but you think she'll t- tell you? I think she will. Will you keep? Asking her about yeah. it? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Good. I ask her all the time. I, all the time. I ask all the kids. I know those kids. posters are cheesy that say, you know, like if you talk to your kids, it reduces alcohol use and all. But that is the key. Well, I, Communication. I, remember I was watching Outer Banks, for you guys who don't know, it's a teen drama on Netflix, and I got sucked into it. Because you use your time wisely? Yeah. And so I was watching <laughs> Outer Banks, yeah. and uh, so was my daughter, Frankie, and she's in ninth grade. and. Uh-huh. I was watching it with her, and I look over, and I look up on camera, and they're all doing cocaine. And I go, Frankie, what are you doing? She goes, Dad, it's just party drugs. And I had to stop the camera right there and go, honey, you know party drugs are just drugs. They just put party in front of it, right? And she's like, what? And I go, yeah, party yeah. drugs are drugs. They're just drugs. Yeah. yeah. You know, you, you can dress it up all you want, but right, it, right. it's still drugs. It's still drugs. And, and we had a good conversation about that. But that's cool that she said that because that was probably what we call a real Freudian slip, where just your internal dialogue just comes out of your mouth. And so that's interesting that she... That she's been indoctrinated to think of it that way. Well, you think about the movies we grew up with in the eighties, uh, you know, Porky's and uh, Animal House. <laughs> yeah, Porky's Animal House, uh, Stripes, all of those. Yeah. I mean, they celebrated debauchery and drinking. Absolutely. And, 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 yeah. and, 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 and 
You want I you I and it, they made it. it look super fun and yeah. you're like, hey, I want to go do that. I, I idolized it. I mean, yeah. that's a lot of the reason that I kind of turned out the way I am. I believe is that I idolized it. I looked at those guys. It looks fun. It looks fun, and they yeah. were getting the girls. And in they're their like, own. you know, John Belushi, your, your heroes of of movies and TV. They're the ones doing it. Yeah, and now you look back, and Chris Farley and John Belushi, they they died at 27. Oh yeah, you know, because of that, because you cannot maintain that. John Candy. John Candy. Uh, what's her name? Uh, the song that says they tried Amy Winehouse. Amy Winehouse. You know, yeah. well, I mean, so many. So yeah, many. I mean, there's a club of people who have passed away at 27, mm-hmm. and usually hand in hand with hard partying. Yeah, no, that's true. So, well, I hope she has a great experience. The University of Utah is great. I think it's. Uh, I also tell high school students this time of year, it's just like everything else. What you put into it's what you're going to get out of it. So if you put in, if you have a plan for studying and academics. And if you have a plan for getting involved in good – there's so many cool clubs and things she can do that will be fun for her to get involved with. The other thing is – and tell her this – get to know your professors. Yeah. Now, not for any other reason than, than a lot of them are really interesting people. If you think about what a professor is – and I'm not one of these kind of professors. I'm a clinical one. But these, these f- folks that just study one thing, if you're interested in that thing, you're actually in front of you is an expert in that thing you're interested in. And they know everything about it. They are uber nerds. Yeah. And they're so cool to talk to somebody who knows everything about something that sounds cool to you. I love it. You know what I mean? Yeah. And a lot of people are afraid, intimidated. They don't want to talk to their – just go up and talk to them after class. They'll, they'll talk to you. It's great. Okay. It sounds weird, but that's a fun part of college, the and, learning and, part. And every professor that I had interaction with, they were very nice and welcoming. You know what I mean? Everybody has a couple jerk professors. Sure. And, and that's what their thing is, is they're the jerk professor. Yeah, yeah. It's their persona. But, but Narcissism is higher in college professors than the average person. Makes sense. Yeah. They are full of it. So this is the time where we shift gears and we, we go shift into, real quick. Well, I yeah. just have a quick. What, what are we calling it? We a still mental call health it, minute. Mental health minute. I like that better. Mental minute sounds a little mental. Yeah. Let's just call it mental health minute. I like that. All right. Okay. Cool. I think that's what it was always supposed to be called, but I just messed up. Well, you'd like to do things your way. Right? I get it. Psychiatric Times. There's a new research article out. It's one of those meta analyses that you know I like. So as a guy who promotes things for a living. Yeah. Uh, did, when did you I, start something out with, yeah, when you start something out with psychiatric journal, you lose a lot of your audience. <laughs> so I would maybe start out with whatever it's about, oh, and then oh, I can fix it. Yeah, it's it's the party psychiatric times. I'll just add party to the front, oh, and then yeah. it'll be it'll I be like everybody will yeah. want to be on board. But that is just a journal. Right. It's just yeah. just a party journal. Yeah. Okay, so Party Journal Psychiatric Times says, so, you know, I like meta-analyses. That's where they get a bunch of studies together and Uh they run stats on those because they're more informative. And I don't know if people know this, but there's a high rate of co-occurring substance use disorders and eating disorders. Hmm. Did you know that? They they often go together. It somewhat makes sense to me uh, because there would be times that um, when I was drinking Mm – you know what I mean? I wasn't eating healthy, mm-hmm. and I would go, okay, I can either eat or I'm drinking, mm-hmm. and drinking would always win, and so therefore, I wasn't eating, and I wasn't getting healthy. I don't know if that's the kind of disorders they're talking about, or are they talking about bulimia well, bully- Yeah, they're, they're talking about re- – like, that. that is – Poor eating habits, I yeah, would say, what yeah. you're saying. And that ha- certainly does happen when people abuse substances. But in, in this study, they're actually looking at three. Uh, 
anorexia nervosa, mm-hmm. uh, bulimia, and then binge eating disorder, which are the three big common ones. And th- the truth is that if you have those, you're also at a high risk for also having a substance use disorder because they kind of go together. So I thought real quick I would quiz you guys. Okay. Todd, Todd you Todd's in, on this? in. I'm in. Okay. I'm in. Josh, Todd's our guest today. We're going to find out more about out. him in just a second. Yep. Todd's, Todd's going to weigh in. So if uh, of the substance use disorders, alcohol, cannabis, uh, amphetamines, cocaine, which one do you think has the highest co-occurring rate with eating disorders? Like if you were just to pick out of those that I mentioned, and, and you can throw in uh, like the uh, psychedelics too. Well, what do you think has the highest? So I don't know if I'm going to do this right, but I would think uh, alcohol and weed would coincide with binge eating. I would say that uh, cocaine and amphetamines would go with anorexia nervosa. That is well thought out. Todd? I, I would agree 100% with that. That's Josh? Actually, yeah. Great reasoning. Yep. Yeah, you got it. You nailed it. Yeah. So alcohol is number one across the board. That's the highest co-occurring rate. But when you break it down by disorder, you nailed it. You did. That's exactly right. Because well, what? I, I kind of lived it. Yeah. Because <laughs> you've been there. Yeah. Yeah. But alcohol is high in sugar. And, I'm an uber nerd when and, it comes people, to addiction yeah, and recovery. Well done. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that's true. And then, of course, cannabis makes you munchy. Yeah. Right? And then uh, people who are restrictive in their eating disorder tend to use things that are stimulants. So amphetamines, cocaine, and things like that. Well, you know, and... and, and, and we talk about this uh, show about recovery and addiction, and, and one of the reasons I started this podcast with you was because people didn't have a clear description of what an addict was. Most people thought it was somebody who lived down dirty old bum, dirty old bum down here at, at the park, right? Some somebody who's. But you think about some of the moms that we've had on this. Well, they deper- when we grew up, they de depersonalized, yeah. uh, addiction, and it made it you made it this kind of scary character. That was usually homeless and, and, you know, riding trains at night. Yeah. Just somebody is sort of almost a mythic character. Yeah. But what do we know? It's moms. It's dad. It's police officers. It's doctors. It's lawyers. It's dentists. It's It's all of us. Literally everybody. And so you get a lot of moms who are trying to get more out of their day. Uh, and maybe put on some weight because of the kids. And so they want to take something to get off and they want to do more. And the next thing you know, they're or not their, eating their and they're doing meth and depression. And, yep. I mean, that's the real face of addiction, not just the moms, but all of us trying yeah. to numb or run or yeah. do more or whatever it is. We've said, we haven't said it for a while, but we used to say a lot, it's no respecter of persons. No. And we've had, this show over four years has proven that. Addiction does not discriminate. Let me throw one other thing out at you and then we'll be finished with this just so you know but it's kind of interesting uh do you you have any idea what they share in common eating disorders and substance use disorders there's a few traits i'll just tell you they both share risk factors such as high perfectionism Mm -hmm. rigidity and impulsivity so those personality traits are kind of common in both types of disorders and so people who are kind of perfectionistic, and how many times have we seen that on the show? Yeah, you guys are all in. You're 100 percent in whatever you're doing. If it's cocaine, 100 yeah. percent in. If it's starting a nonprofit, 100 percent in. 
Right. But you think about it, those same characteristics are yeah. also the same characteristics that you could put against highly successful people in America. Yeah, yeah. Well, the impulsivity maybe not, but the rigidity you, and imp- I, well, impulsivity unchecked is going to get you in trouble, right? So you're right. It's kind of like where you point it. Yeah. Like if you have these traits and you point them in a healthy direction, you're probably going to end up with success. How many times have we seen people who are homeless didn't have a job? but somehow managed to find $1,500 a day to feed their habit. And we would sit there and we'd look at him <laughs> and go... I can't find $1,500 I know. And you'd go, you know, if you could just channel that energy... I know. You'd be unstoppable. And they go, I know. And, and, we, and we've had them on the show once they've channeled that energy and they're doing amazing things. It's great. Our guest today is Todd Smith. He reached out to me via Facebook and uh, he said, I've got a story I, a story I want to share. Yeah. What made you want to share it? Uh, I had actually listened to a few of your episodes. And, um, you know, in sharing my story with other people in my life and other people that I've, you know, gone through recovery with and other places that I've been, um, a lot of people have found inspiration from it. And so I wanted to come and share it. All right. Well, we're going to hear uh, Todd Smith's story coming up next. You're listening to Project Recovery. Welcome back to the podcast. I'm Casey Scott. That's Dr. Matt Willier. Our guest today is Todd Smith, who said he's got a short... I don't even know why I can't say that, but he's got a story to share. I know. It's it's, it's the alliteration that gets me going. (laughs) You've had a big day. Yeah. You've had a big day. Well, I actually just got a text from my kid's school that I got a maturation class tomorrow with my fifth grader my yeah. son yeah. i think you might need a review i yeah, think well, I, I think it might be a good class for you that, yeah. must, that yeah. mustache you're growing i think you need a little review let's not make this about me let's make this about todd so todd where does your story begin <laughs> oh my my story begins uh early 20s um so i actually worked promotions for what used to be hot 94.9 okay back in the day yeah oh. Are you a Utah boy? You grew up in Utah? Uh, no, moved here in 84. Uh, from? Originally from New York, Florida, Germany, Florida, here. So, Oh, wow. Okay. You've been all over. Been right. all over. Yeah. So are you an only child? Uh, Older sister, two uh, years older than me. Uh-huh. Uh, mom and dad. Dad passed in 06, actually due to addiction. He was an alcoholic. Oh. And so my story, at funny thing, we were talking about college. That's where my drug story started um but before that in your early years uh what was uh your family's thoughts about drinking and smoking i mean did did they ever sit you down and say hey never had the talk because my dad was an alcoholic my dad was a fully functioning alcoholic we moved around because of his job he was an engineer um he worked for nasa during the apollo projects he developed uh, a bunch of technology for different uh, military applications, and so we moved around a lot. So he had these top clearances, but every weekend he would get drunk. Every weekend he would drink himself into oblivion. And so there wasn't ever really a talk about don't do this. I just all of a sudden realized that this was a bad thing. So I didn't have my first drink. I didn't smoke my first anything or do anything until I was in college and I was away from it. Can I ask uh, what kind of Alcoholic was he? So he was a he was a, a vodka guy. Uh, he was a wild turkey guy. Was okay. he a fun alcoholic or was he? A- I you know the the one thing is I just it it was an all or nothing kind of thing. It was huh. it was there's my dad or oh no he's in bed and he's passed out. Okay, it, so he wasn't a he wasn't a mad wasn't drunk. Angry. He wasn't a physical it, drunk. Was he a fun drunk? No, he no? was just it was either Withdrawing. he was there yeah. or he was just completely passed out okay so for me when i was drinking i wasn't a mean drunk uh I, I could be a sarcastic drunk but often when you are an alcoholic uh 
my ex-wife used to say it all the time. You know, you you, out, you overshot your window. You know, and we've mm-hmm. had people on here say that. So you go from hey 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 to woo. You know what I mean? Yeah. And, yeah. and so there's so yeah. there's maybe an hour where you're not sure if he's drunk and you're not sure what's going on, and then you go, oh, he was drunk. Yeah. You, you know what I mean? And yeah. so seems like something like that. Yeah, and I'm you know one specific memory that I have is we were replacing the grass on the side of my parents' house. And my dad had gone down in the morning and gotten one of those cutters that cuts underneath the sod Uh to pick it up. And then we were going to lay new sod. And I remember he had gone and got it and he taught me how to use it. And I was using it and we were laying new sod on the ground. And my mom came out and she threw a bottle down on the ground, pissed off at him because he had been drinking. Uh And I just that was kind of the the first thing. I mean, I think it was 10 or 11 years old at the time, maybe 12 and it was the first time that I had realized that, oh, there's a problem there's here. A problem. You know, yeah. I always, you know, I always saw the b- bottle of wild turkey on his desk. But then what I started to notice was my mom was emptying vodka bottles that she was finding hidden in his room. Uh, okay. You know, he got to the point where when he knew he was going to drink, it was going to be a binge. So he would buy, you know, the half gallon bottle of, of pop off or, or whatever it was. Yeah. Yep. And then he would buy a fifth and then he would buy a pint. And he would hide the fifth and he would hide the pint so that when my mom saw that he was drinking, she would pour out the handle. Then he would be able to go get the fifth and he'd finish uh, that. Then she'd find that and he would still have the pint to go to. That's that's well. So that alcoholics, I guess, addicts of all kind are very resourceful mm-hmm. and very kind of crafty. Yeah. And there's that technique. I thought you were going to say the other one, which is they leave the, the three-quarters full bottle out for everyone to see. So you can point so, out and go, so hey, you're like, look, I've only had right. this much, yeah. but then they've got the other bottles stashed away. Right? Now, I will tell you the, the, the most impactful thing that happened to me understanding my dad's alcoholism was – I'm going to say that this is 2016, 2017. My girlfriend at the time and I were redoing my mom's front yard, um, doing all the bushes and everything like that. And I was, we were redoing the ground cover around the bushes. So taking up the black plastic and the bark chips. And I took up the black plastic and I found a golf ball sitting by one of the bushes. And I'm like, oh, that's weird. Yeah. Are you close so to the golf lift, course? Huh? No. Oh, okay. <laughs> so I lifted the golf ball up and there's the top of a bottle. Right there. He had dug around, lifted the bottle out. It was a half bottle of vodka that he had buried in the ground. Wow. So that and he could have with a, a golf ball. And marked like with X, a golf ball so X he knew marks where the spot. it was. Wow. And I'm like, wow, this is the depth of it. Because after he passed in 2006, we cleaned his bench area and I found a pint here or an empty bottle there. But 10 uh, years after that, finding... That's this crazy. bottle buried in the ground. In, that is amazing. Yeah. So, being a, having an alcoholic father, you said you stayed away from alcohol and drugs. Well, most of your well, let me ask real ooh, quick though, go. just because yeah. I'm curious the dynamic there. Because those you mentioned, your dad was an engineer, mm-hmm. and he, he worked for NASA and military yeah. development and stuff. So, uh, hopefully, the, the listeners didn't just skip over that. That's a really bright guy. Yeah, that that you get that engineering at that level is is really impressive. Most engineers can't do it. Right. So how did that impact his career, the, the drinking? So, in fact, towards the end of his career, right before he retired, was when the binge drinking became more. Mm-hmm. and um, Kind of unmanageable? It, 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 was, it, was, it was moving into the week, you know? Yeah. It, it was it – was, I always remember that my dad never took a sick day. 
you know, his vacation days or his sick days were used up on vacation. Um, but as it got towards the end of his career and as his as his alcoholism got unraveled deeper, a little more. Yeah. His security clearance is what came into question. Ah, uh, yeah. Because, um, yeah, and you mentioned security clearance. That's really yep. high level work. It truly is. And yeah, uh, yeah I was just kind of curious. So he made it to retirement, but it started to fall apart at the end. And it, yeah. And it, I mean, it was it was at a point where his boss had to say to him, hey, we're going to have to you're going to have to do other things because mm-hmm. we can't have you doing this. If this is a part of your moving life. him around. Yeah, that, that makes sense. And okay. then after he retired, then then when the four five, six day binges started coming into play, eventually what took his life. So so. With that being said, you said you stayed away from drugs and alcohol most of your early education. Most of it until I got into college. Yeah. And and saying when you or guys were talking about your daughter staying home, I think is the best advice because personal experience for me was the summer in between my high school senior year and my first year of college, I got three speeding tickets. And they said, hey, we can either take your driver's license away. Or you have to go this long. And my parents were like, whoop, take his driver's license away. What are we going to do? Are you going to ride the bus every day? No, 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 no. We'll just put you up at the dormitories. Oh. I mean, that is the catalyst Uh of where my use, my understanding of drugs and everything took into play. It is exactly that. You are taken out of the environment that you talked about, where the fridge is there, the laundry's getting done, roof over your head. You don't have to worry about dinner time or what you're going to do. You've got your social circle. And then you're thrown into a dormitory, you know, three floors. This is old Austin Hall up at the University of Utah. Yeah. And three floors of people that you don't know. And my roommate comes in first day with a handle of vodka and a two-liter bottle of Sprite. You ever – I've never drank before. What do you want to do? Let's drink. All right. Great. Tried mushrooms for the first time. Tried acid for the first time. Tried pot for the first time. Now, you you could have done those things in high school. Could have. So what made you say yes to it in college? Um. Just the I, – I, if I look back at it now, I think it's the ultimate freedom pass. You know, you're away from the parents. They're, mm-hmm. I, don't, I didn't have to go home drunk. Your I decisions could go to my, my dorm room. Yeah. Right. But your decisions are your decisions right. now. Yeah. And there's no supervision. No one's going to see what no you're one's doing. There. And had you always had – I mean, I think when I've talked to people who've grown up with an alcoholic parent – they will often say what you said, which is like, I saw what my parent was doing. I didn't want to do that. But then after we talk about it for a while, they'll usually admit, but I had a little curiosity about it. Yeah. Like, 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 like I, I was kind of curious. Even if it's a morbid curiosity, I wonder what it would be like. I don't even think it has to be morbid. I think the curiosity is I want to know what was so attractive to my dad or my mom that made them almost risk or a lot of times risk everything. Yeah. There's got to be something to this. The, the high has got to be so high or it's got to be so amazing yeah. that it's worth risking all this for. Now, I can tell you on the other side, it's not. It's, no, it's, it's not. not. Right. But, but when you're 18, what yeah. do you know, right? right. And, and, and they still glamorize it in Hollywood. They still glamorize sure. it in music. And, and I mean, it's, it is what it is. Um, and I think your experience, Todd, is probably very similar to most kids who live in the dorms, right. where somebody shows up and that's the first time. But they've got it, and there's they realize, hey, we can just sit here and drink. Nobody's going to come walk Nobody's in on us. Come, no, you know, we don't have to wait for the garage door open to no. hide it. We right. don't have to go up in the in the in the woods and drink it. Right. Uh, you know, I mean, that's I can, right. We can just do it right here. Right. Yeah. And I, I think that's probably very you know very common experience. And that's why I think her staying home. The first semester or the first, you know, 
part of the year. Yeah. I think it's the smartest Todd thing. Todd approved. Yeah, I'm going to tell yeah. it's Todd approved. Todd approved. Yeah. So the first year, you kind of went off the rails. You had the ultimate freedom pass, he said. That's ex- that's it. Yeah. And, 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 and did you go to school, or did you just kind of leave? No. no I, uh, they asked me to leave after my second <laughs> semester there. They they, did, it huh? was the lowest grade point average that my counselor had ever seen. Really? Yeah, .05. I failed every class, yeah. but I got a D- minus in acting. You got your name right. Yeah. 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 Kind of like getting your name right on the SAT. Yeah. yeah. And so... How, how do you explain that to your parents? So uh, they I, they didn't really – I just explained it as I didn't want to go to class. Um, mm. The other thing was is that coinciding with food, they, you get a little food card when you're up there. Yeah. And I was spending it all within the first couple of days, mm. you know. And so I would call them on Friday for more money. And be, oh, well, you know, you got it deposited on Monday. Well, I need on Friday or Thursday. I'm running out of food. I'm yeah. running out of money. And so – when I failed out, I just said, you know, I wasn't going to classes. It wasn't disciplined enough. My mom at the time was working for Salt Lake Community College as an accountant. So she's like, well, you'll just come here. I'll take you to school every day. Hmm. So I went to school there, uh, didn't graduate from there, just kind of fell out of it. Really just wanted to start working. I honestly never wanted to go to college in the first place. Um, you just I was, you had to? I, well, yeah, it was one of those things. My sister, who's very accomplished, she's two years older than I am, she went to college. She got her master's degree. And, you know, she's moved on and has a wonderful career. I just thought for myself, I just didn't feel college was necessary for me, you know. Um, and I remember, you know, my mom was the one that signed me up for Salt Lake Community College. She's like, you're going to go to school. We've got this opportunity for you. We've made sure that you've had this opportunity. You're going to go to school. And so it was more of an obligation. And for me, I've always, if I don't want to do something, I'm not going to put much effort into it. So I lasted another year there. And then I finally just told my parents, I just don't want to go to school. Anymore. So when you moved out from the dorms, did you move back home? Move back home. Yep. And how did the party and go when you were living at home? It ended. A hundred percent. You know, I went back to just being the kid at home. No worries. No nothing. Were you um, kind of an obedient kid? Uh, do what your parents asked you to do? Yeah, kind of kid? absolutely. Yeah. You know, once you're in their house, it's you grow up with that's the rules. Yeah, you know? their house, their yeah. rules. And not, I remember, not every teenager feels that way, <laughs> yeah. FYI, right. but I'm glad that was your experience. That's and good. One of the, you know, I can remember having a conversation deep in my addiction with my dad. Um, where he was berating me for not being responsible and not, and I looked at him and I said, we're the same person. We're addicted, just the same. You're an alcoholic. I'm a drug addict. What makes you so different? And he said, listen, all of my bills are paid. This house is paid for. Everything I have, I own. Everything's fine on my end. You're the one who's messing up. You don't have a place to Isn't stay. that the ultimate justification? Yeah. I hear that a lot. You know, the the functional part of yeah. being an I'm addict. checking all the boxes that need to be. Yeah. yeah. Let yeah. me do what I want. Everything's and, taken care of. And I, I I'll bet you from, I bet you that that was a motivator for him all along through his adult life that if I can do all those things, right. then I can keep my addiction. I can yeah. keep drinking. And I, because, and I, I don't know your dad, obviously, right. but... But that's a common story. It is. You know, for yeah. a lot of folks. No, it was and my story. And that's why it was just the weekends for him. You know, yeah. Friday nights coming home with a bottle, yep. you know, and just railing through the weekends. Plowing into his, it, yeah. Well, we talk about it all the time on the podcast. It's a functioning alcoholic. I mean, the... the the main word there is alcoholic. Yeah. Right, right. You know what I mean? But you but, just But if you're it. the functional alcoholic, the main word is functional. Yeah, yeah. That's what you focus yeah, on. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and when you're talking to somebody else, that's the only thing you could say. Because 
truth be told, he was an addict and an alcoholic, just like you were. Right. But, but that's it, also cultural, right? That's interesting that your dad said that because uh, back in the day, the that we saw it as drugs were a worse addiction than alcohol. It's just right. alcohol. Right. It's just alcohol. Yeah. I'm not as bad as you because you've got this drug addiction. Right. I'm just an alcoholic. But as we know, I mean, the addiction is addiction. Yeah. Right. And, and as, according to my, you know, my mom was always one of those people who believed that nothing good happened after 10 o'clock. That's why her curfew was 10 o'clock. Yeah. Right. So in, in, I can almost picture that in my dad's mind, he says, I can go down to the store in public and buy what I'm doing. There but you go. You have to go to the corner with some seedy guy in a black jacket, you know, who you have to talk to and you can't, you know. Well, that's what you always said, face, Casey. You yeah. yeah. Your, your, your drug dealer was at the Maverick. Yeah. On the corner. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like, well, I can buy mine right here. Yeah. Yeah. And it, that legitimizes it. How do you find yourself in an addiction? So it it really started when when I uh, met a, a radio personality from from the old radio station. Did you have an idea that you wanted to go into the, that? I didn't. Um, the funny thing was, I was at it was an old social club called the Bay. Downtown. Yeah, I remember the Bay. <laughs> right. I was at the Bay, and he was doing a live remote there, and uh, him and I, you know, you have those people in your life where you just become friends with them oh, yeah. instantaneously, and him and I just hit it off right there. And so within a week or so, he said, hey, there's, you know, they're looking for people to do promotions. So I was a guy that wrote out, did the van, you know, set up for live remotes, all those kind of things. You guys are the same person. And then it was Shooters in Sugar House, which is where the bar was. He was doing live remotes from there, Shakers over on North Temple. And that's where I got my introduction, you know. Um, I... I did my first line of cocaine with some very, very famous people after a big concert here in Salt Lake City. Okay. And it was it was 100% from there. And it started out just like my dad. It was only on the weekends. It was only when we were done doing all of our work mm-hmm. that I could go and do it. And then it was Kind of oh, a reward Monday. for hard yeah, work. Yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. Monday I'm waking up, I'm a little hungover, hey, let's do a line. You know? Well, you know, and, and I think that's the same for a lot of addicts. You know, at first I'm just partying on Friday and yeah. Saturday. Yeah. Well, then Thursday's really a baby Friday, so we should probably drink on <laughs> Thursday. Yeah. And then, you know, Sunday is football all day, and, you know, it's the last free day before we have to start the week again. So right. now we'll start drinking on Sunday. Right. But then there's Taco Tuesday, and you can't have tacos without beer. Right. So we might as well do Taco Tuesday, and then Cinco de Mayo's right around the corner, and then St. Patrick's, you know what I mean? Then it just becomes okay, just an excuse, and right. then you're finding any excuse to yeah. use it. You've got a calendar open, and you're like, oh, got it. All yep. these days. Yeah. Groundhog Day, Flag Day. Look yeah. At yeah. yeah, Arbor Day. Yeah. Yeah, or planting trees. National Siblings Day. Let's yeah. do that. <laughs> so you, then you, you say it starts to take over your life. Yeah. So then, it, I mean, literally as I, How you quick know, did it escalate? Within a year or two. Really? I mean, it went from, you know, just on the weekends, and it was... You know, maybe twenty, thirty dollars of cocaine back then, which is maybe like half a gram. You know, um, to then it was literally two or three eight balls a week. So I I, I know this because I've worked in radio and yeah. I've done that. I've driven the vans, I've set up remotes, yeah. I've done all that stuff. That's how I started my career, and I also know what it pays. Yeah, and uh, not a lot. No, no, not a lot at all. So how are you affording eight balls? And uh, well. Uh, I was working other jobs on the side, uh-huh. but I was also very good friends with my drug dealer, and so uh, the you know 
won't mention any names, but the personality that I was friends with would give me free tickets to stuff or CD packs or stuff like that. Was you know it you was it those. was a joint it was yeah. a joint effort between all of us there at the radio station. At one point in time, I became the drug dealer for the radio station. You know? Okay, and whenever there was an artist that came in, you know, I was the one that was, was man. You guys are the like drugs. the same so. person. <laughs> I wasn't the drug dealer for the station. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I mean, let's yeah. let's be honest. You you partied and oh, found yeah. drugs for some of the big artists that came to town. It was yeah. great. I mean, I got yeah. kicked out of Midnight Oil's dressing room for, for drinking, drinking all, all their, their beer. beer. Oh wow! Yeah, yeah. yeah. nice. How nice. can we sleep when the beds are burning? Because Casey's drinking all the beer. Get out of the dressing room. You know, true story. You know, yeah. yeah. Uh, and but here's the other thing: is that you were probably celebrated for your role, 100. percent Yeah. And you thought you were yep. doing good. Yeah. And you were young. Yeah. So that and it was a lot of attention. Having all that attention from yep. celebrities, local and international celebrities. You felt wow, an that's part powerful. Of you know, the the machine exactly. And and back in those radio days, you know, I had Todd West was the name that I used when I did you know street team or broadcast or stuff like that. And I truly found out after this last stint in rehab was that I had created Todd West, and Todd West was non consequential. Todd West was superior to whatever, and Todd Smith just he was back here. You know, he was in the background waving his hands, going, "Hey, I'm." Still so we here. call that a persona, yeah, right? Exactly. And the mind is really, really powerful. What happens a lot with celebrities, uh, and I would have put you in that category because yep. you had a persona and you you had a microphone and you were on the air. Yeah, uh, is that you really start to dissociate and separate your personalities. Yep. And so it's not too much different than what they used to call multiple personality disorder. Right. It is different. Yeah. But there but when you're in that character, you can have the freedom to be who whoever that character is that you've created. Right. And you created a, a really fun party the guy. no consequences right. guy. Yeah. And, and so that it's it's, you know, no breaks, let's just go. I've lived this story. I've heard this story yeah. before. Uh, does it start to get in the way of work? Everything. I mean, I you know I can't even tell you um, you know when when the radio thing kind of died was there was a club downtown that I used to go to to Papillons, mm-hmm. and I got busted doing coke in the bathroom. And so was coke your called, DOC? Yeah, that was it. Yeah, that was it. I didn't you know when I smoke pot, I smoke pot, and then I have to sit down and for about four hours. Yeah, and not do anything, and hear all the noises, and see all the sights, and then, you know, it's one or two puffs, and I'm done. Um, and alcohol's never been a big alcohol's been the companion drug to my cocaine use. Yeah, it's kind of how I stay level, you know. Which is crazy because you you do more cocaine to stay up, and so you can drink more, yeah. and then you're just spending double the money. Yeah, exactly. And I've never been. The funny thing is, with my dad's alcoholism, I've never drank hard alcohol to extent. You know, I'll do a shot here and there. But sitting down drinking hard alcohol is just, it's not my thing, you know. So you get busted doing cocaine and papillons. Yep. Uh, that ends the radio career. That ends the radio career. Yep. That's done. And so then what? Because so you've got it, this persona, yeah. but now you don't have a stage. Now I don't have a stage to do it on. So I honestly, I went into sales, telemarketing call centers for the next 20 years. That's where I was. Huh? Um, and, you know, it, it was very, very good money. In the beginning, I started out with a company called RPM, uh, and we were at the internet boom. We were selling coaching programs and advertising packages for home-based web businesses. 
So it was an all commission job, you know, and we make anywhere from $1,000 to $9,000 on each sale. Wow. And it's just money just coming in and coming in. And it, there was that kind of, or I guess, progressed the, the personality part of it. I was going to say, you to can say, kind of stay in that persona in that kind of a job, right? In that right? kind of a job. Yeah. I can be whoever I needed to be, whoever I needed to be for the person on the other end of the phone. So getting busted doing cocaine in the bathroom wasn't... Uh, wasn't the downfall. No. no. It was just like, God, we're going to close this door. Here's the next one for okay. you. Okay. You know? And then you burst through that one and yeah. find much success. A lot of success. Different companies that I work for, um, you know, kind of in and out everything, and then it it kind of moved over and and started taking over the personal life as far as relationships and you know losing touch with the family and all of those different things as well. Wow, yeah, I mean that escalated quick. It very much so. I mean, it took you know fifteen years or so for it to do it, but yeah, but all like, and I'm probably getting some flack for saying this. All fifteen weren't bad. No. No. Usually it's the last two or three. <laughs> right. But looking back on a sober mind, I can tell, because I used to say that, like, hey, they weren't all bad. But they weren't all good either. Yeah. And, and looking back, and, and it's funny what an addict brain can make you think. Because you go, well, if I really go back and look at it, it, it was pretty bad. Now, I will tell you that there was a, a slight break uh, in between the time of doing radio and getting into call centers. Um, the drug dealer that I was working for wanted to start himself into a pop business. Mm-hmm. And so I was at this point with him where I was like, ah, I can't give him any money. What can I do for him? And so we had a sit down talk one time over a nice pile of drugs. And he said, well, listen, I want to go get some pot. He said, why don't you take a trip down to Arizona, pick it up and drive it back up for me? I'm mm. like, sure, no problem. So flew down there, picked up a rental car. Rental car got taken by some other people. I sat at a hotel. Rental car came back. They gave me the keys, drove it up to Utah. He hands me $5,000. Oh, great. Started to do that. Did that about five times. And then the last time that I did it, I got pulled over by Highway Patrol with 232 pounds of marijuana in the back of the car. Oh, my gosh. That's a lot of weed. Wow. And the uh, the cop that pulled me over, um, his name is Sergeant Mangelson. Uh-huh. I'm imagining i mean this is 99 so i imagine this was you know he's no longer with the force anymore but he has a allergic reaction to the smell of marijuana that was actually admissible in court and when he pulled me out of the car wow he immediately had his reaction and he said i'm just going to ask you you know what do you have in the car i've got a dog on the way we're going to search it anyways and so i just admitted to him right there i've got 232 pounds of weed and he's like put your hands on the hood here we go so they take me back to the jail. This is Nephi, Jeb County. Okay. And he takes me into the room and he said, you can help yourself out here. And I said, I have no idea what you're talking. You know, how do I do this? So they had CIB from Richmond come in. They had the DEA fly down. Um, they, they wanted you to roll in. over. They wanted me to roll over. And I was like, you bet. 100%. Because, <laughs> at, and this is the way it is. As a matter of fact, <laughs> one I'm year, on board. One year for every 10 pounds that you're carrying over interstate lines. So 23 years in prison was what I was facing. Oh, wow. And wow. I said, absolutely no problem. So they got everything together, and it was very time sensitive because I had to be at where I was good, where the drop off point was. And it was the old scone cutters on 90th. Okay. And so I drove up there, and they said, when, when you get out of the car, the way that I would leave the car is I would have a friend come pick me up. I would leave the keys under the mat. Uh, 
So they gave me a fake set of keys to leave under the mat. And I got out of the car, saw the two guys in there, kind of gave them a little bit of a wave, threw the keys under the mat, started to walk away. And immediately the place gets swarmed by, by cops. Wow. They arrest me along with arresting them. They told me to kind of fight them and make act it up, yeah. you know, like I was upset. Yeah. I started yelling at the two guys. I'm like, you guys set me up. You guys set me up. I'm going to kill you when we get into prison. When I find this you, I'm going to kill amazing. you. This is amazing. Academy Award. Yeah. Yeah. And the wonderful prosecutor down in Jeb County dropped it from a minimum mandatory of 23 years in federal prison oh, down wow. to a third degree simple possession charge. Wow. Wow. So I wound up because spending, of your cooperation. Because of my cooperation. Yeah. So I wound up spending just about two, two and a half years in prison and then got out and started my uh, started my career with doing call centers. So wow. Yeah, that is a little bit of an interruption between yeah. the two yeah. careers. Yeah. yeah. So did you, how quick out of jail or prison did you get back into cocaine oh within i would say six months okay yeah. well what but the, the, the two and a half years is still a long time to still be in a long prison time. you bet what yeah. was that like you know it was i i think i had a um i think i had a different experience that a lot of people have when you go into prison you uh go into reception and orientation you wait for your matrix to come through which is your points that you get and it's based on your past history i had had zero crimes i mean traffic infractions before that well yeah so, those three speeding tickets three exactly the traffic infractions right and so what they said was uh, the point my point matrix was nine and if you had a point matrix of seven you could immediately be sent to a halfway house mm. so because of the severity of my crime and the amount of drugs that i had um that that the parole board was was keen to but you know not outside my packet when i went into prison was completely rewritten so that nobody knew that i had ratted out all these people okay so that i wasn't subject to being harmed or yeah. Being yeah. put into you know protective custody or anything like that and so my experience was i spent the first six months in a inside drug program that was there and then the last year that I was there, I was actually on the work camp that was out at Camp Williams. And I did uh, tire shredding for the state. Mm. You know, they would shred tires. And so I would go to work five days a week, come back to camp. I had home visits for the last six months that I was there. Okay. And then got out. So it was, it was, a, I wasn't in with hardened criminals. You yeah. know, I was in kind, kind of the nicer area. It was 288, yeah. what they call, which was Timpanogos. Yeah. So it was a nicer experience for me. I mean, it was, to be honest with you, some of the best sleep that I've ever had in my entire life. Yeah. yeah. Because you're in a concrete coffin and there's no sound. You know, yeah. except well, for your roommate. Say that, like, you like know? deprecation. Yeah. 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 Well, are you still friends with your drug dealer? I am no, not. I'm not. No. Just God. no. <laughs> so then you get into the call center yeah. and you say you had about a fifteen year run with doing and, different jobs and Yeah, and it was it was more of I I went back to kind of the partying stages. You know, it was just on the weekend. To Todd West. Yeah. You know, but it wasn't as much as it was before. You know, I was still I was still using I was still losing jobs because I was I was using um, wasn't as intense as it was during those times when I was working at the radio station. Yeah. Did you have any thought that you had a problem? Uh, of course. Oh. I mean, you know, when you're struggling to pay rent and borrowing money, or you know, well, all of those. Uh, I mean, a things. lot of people tell me they're like it was inconvenient, but they didn't really feel like they had a problem. No, I mean, I knew I had a problem. Okay. Yeah, I, I absolutely knew I had a problem. 
So after 15 years, you say it starts to kind of uh, wear it. Yeah. And um, you're messing up relationships. You're right. alienating yourself from your yep. family. Yep. Um, and is everything crumbling? So yes and no. Um, at, at this point, I had a I had an opportunity where I moved actually moved back in with my mom. She wasn't doing very good health wise. She had a lot of back problems, and so I moved in with her. And um, in doing so, started to kind of commingle as far as um, her finances and my finances. Mm-hmm. And by saying that, it's basically is that I had access to her money, mm-hmm. and I started using it on my own, and I started trying to cover it up, and it all came to a head at one point in time and um i was actually uh you know my sister found out about it and my mom had found out about it and they came to me and said what is this and i just outright said you know this is it this is what i you know this is what i did um turned myself into the police and i was charged with um i was charged with a uh um uh, I can't even remember what they called it, but it's basically having to do with a with an adult person. Okay. Um, exploitation of a oh, vulnerable ex- yes. adult. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Yep. yep. Um, and then a, a check writing fraud, you know. Um, and, you know, I had gone so far as to when I was living with my mom, we she had applied for a – because I was buying things for her because she wasn't able to get out of the house. Yeah. So she had applied for a credit card that had both of our names on it. I never told her that it came in. And then – took all the money off of it and was just buying, you know, if my drug dealer needed something, I would buy it for him or I would take cash off of the credit card. And that's really the kind of the big, you know, the big catalyst to what it was. They found out about it, you know, Discover Card had called the house. My family found out about it. And so, so then I was, you know, on my own and tried to really, you know, start to rebuild myself, you know, tried to stay clean, wasn't working. And then... I'm going to say probably about two or three years later, I'd gotten back into the good graces of my family, um, still kind of living on my own, but my mom decided to sell her house and um, went through the whole process of helping her sell her house, got everything ready. My son helped me out. Everything got taken care of. The house got sold and um, again, still had access to her money because I was helping her do that kind of stuff. And started into that cycle again. And that is where um, I, it had come just right at the beginning of January. She had given us all a cash gift after selling the house, my sister, my son, and and myself. And I had kept that in her account and was drawing out of it, but I was also drawing out more money than I should have. And my mom had called me the night before and she said, hey, listen, I'm seeing these withdrawals. I know that you still had money in the account. Come by tomorrow and let's talk about it. And I just knew that that was it. I knew how far I was back into the addiction. I was ashamed. I was depressed. I was sad. You know, all of those super, super deep emotions where you're at. And I had just gotten her baclofen prescription filled. And it was a 90-day supply. I don't know what baclofen is. Baclofen is a muscle relaxer. Okay. And um, so I had that in my car. And the next day, I was actually supposed to go out to dinner with my mom and my son. And I woke up that morning and I decided that was it. I didn't want to face them. I didn't want to go through this again. I didn't want the disappointment of that again. 
And so I went and I bought two things of chocolate milk and I dumped half of the chocolate milk out and I crushed up 900 milligrams of baclofen. Oh my gosh. And I put it into the chocolate milk bottle wow. and I shook it up, got it diluted. I drank it, drank the chocolate milk, drank it. My plan was, um, if you're driving on the I-80 right there at State Street and it goes to the 21st South Freeway. They call that the spaghetti bowl. Got it. You drive off that to go to the 21st South Freeway right there at 9th West. There is a retaining wall that holds up yeah. the overpass. Yeah. My thing was, I'll take this, I'll wait 15 minutes, and then I will drive that car directly into that cement wow. overpass. This was your plan. If Suicide. that didn't kill me, the pills would kill me. But I wanted it. I wanted it kind of to coincide. I thought, you know... It won't be so bad. It won't seem like a suicide. This is my head. It won't seem like a suicide attempt if I'm on these pills and I crash into the wall. Yeah. But it was a suicide attempt. It was, 100%. Yeah. And uh, I tried three times and just couldn't do it. Could not drive that car into that barrier. And I wound up making the circle kind of around. And the last time I parked right there by that Tesla dealership and I had made it a video email to send to my sister to tell her... I had been taking money again. You know, this is it. I'm truly sorry. I made an email, video email for my son, and I had scheduled it to set it out an hour later than, yeah. than the time that I was. And I remember throwing up a couple of times. And the last time I looked at the clock, it was 11.45 in the morning. And I woke up four days later in respiratory ICU at uh, LDS, or not LDS, but the... Uh, University. Hospital on 53rd. Oh, yeah. Wow. So somebody found you. Somebody found me uh, 11 hours later, aspirated. Yeah. Um, it was January, so it was, you know, 20 degrees outside, which helped save my life. But completely lethargic, non-responsive. I was on breathing, you know, I was intubated the entire time that I was there. Um, and for a few months after, I did not remember why I had done it. I remember that it had happened and I knew that I had done it intentionally, but my memory was just a spot here and there, you know, of things that I had done. So you wake, you wake up in the ICU. Yeah. And they tell you that they found you. They told me that they had found me. And I, I remember the, the most significant part of that event was when they moved me from uh, RICU up to the regular floor, the medical director of just the general hospital. I don't know what his title was, but he came in and he looked at me and he said, do you know what I've been doing for the last two hours? And I said, no. And he said, I've been looking at your medical records. He goes, every test, every scan, everything that they've done in the last five days, I've been looking over. And he said, the amount of drugs that were in your system, it is absolutely impossible for you to be sitting here in this hospital with me right now. Wow. There's no medical reason in the world why you should be looking at me and sitting in this hospital right now. You should be dead. And he said, I just wanted you to know that when you leave here, how much of a miracle it is that you're still alive. And that was the, the punch in the face, the punch in the gut. That was the moment. That got through to you. That, got, that hit me. You know. And every day since then, I always think about that. I have the picture that my friends took of me. In a, you know, in RICU with the tubes down my throat and, the, you know, the monitors all over me. And 
it is just a constant reminder day to day that it is an absolute miracle that I'm sitting here. Wow. So you get gut punched. Where do you go from there? I mean, so I I don't want to assume, but I'm going to. Um, that was your rock bottom? That was it. Yeah. Maybe that's the ultimate freedom pass. That is. <laughs> right? Yeah. Um, I right? mean, 100%. For real. Yeah. In, in a real way. Yeah. Yeah. And in so, a real way. So a failed suicide attempt. Right. Uh, you wake up in the ICU. Where do you go from there? So um, because it was a suicide attempt, uh, they they have to evaluate you before they let you go. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was very fortunate. I got set up to LDS Hospital um, into their unit that they have up there, and they did the full evaluation. I talked with a psychologist, and they were making recommendations. And the nice thing about it is because uh, you know I wasn't I wasn't working at the time, and you know, when I was doing all of this, I, basically I'm indigent, as they call it. Um, and they said, you know, this is what we can do for you. Uh, we can send you to Phoenix Recovery Center and they can take care of you. And so I got on with them and I was doing their 90-day intensive outpatient programming, which is six, eight hours a day, depending on what classes that you're taking, depending on the day that you go through. Um, one of those classes was the... It's a cognitive awareness class where they teach you about how drug addiction works, you know, how the brain cuts off, you know, the, 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 the cognitive side of, of your thinking and says, oh, no, you're just looking for the pleasure. Here's, here's the realistic side of what you need. But no, 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 no. The pleasure takes over. I always thought that I was just a terrible human being because I was an addict, you know, that I chose – the drugs over my son or that I chose the drugs over my family or that I chose to steal money from my family, that I was just a terrible human being when in reality it is this physical manipulation of your brain pan and it says, nope, you're going to go do this. Consequences be damned, you know. Yeah, it's an override. Yeah. Yeah. And a lot of people don't understand that once you get into recovery, your brain can normalize back out and that person that you were before right. or that your your common sense, your cognitive abilities, judgment, foresight, reason, problem solving, uh, a conscience, yeah. you know, those sorts of things can return in recovery. But you're right. I think you were a victim of the um, – uh, the, what's promoted out there that you're a bad person because, right. you know, that that's somehow you made the choice to be a bad person. But I can tell just by how you've been talking about it, you love your family. Oh, yeah. yeah. And, and, and that would have never been a choice you made to take advantage of your family no. or put anything above your family. So a lot of times addicts think, well, I must be a bad person because I'm doing that. Yeah. But it's not until they get sober, they're in recovery, and the education piece, uh, it seems like that was a light bulb moment for you. Very much so. Yeah. So you get a punch in the gut, then you get the light bulb moment. And then I just I, I started living my life as though, you know, I, I, I say this in the best way. Gary Vaynerchuk's one of my favorite people, and he does – a Monday motivation. He talks about how everybody looks at Monday motivation, you know, Monday with like heads down. Oh, it's Monday. I hate Monday. And he says, well, what if it's the last Monday of your life? Where's your thinking there? 
And so my life is, yeah, calling (laughs) sick, right. You know, would you be so downtrodden about it being Monday or would you live to your fullest potential? And that's where I have taken my life is not every day is not a Disneyland day, but every day is I try to reach out to people. I try to make somebody's day. If I'm sitting down at a restaurant, you know, I'm interacting with that person, making sure that they're okay and giving them a great tip, you know, just making my interaction with other people be as pleasant as I can possibly make it. So it's an epiphany. Yeah. Because you really shouldn't have had any more Mondays. No. No. And the chief medical officer of the hospital told you that. Yeah. He's, he's the man in charge. Yeah. Um, yeah. It was a life changer, wasn't it? It really was. So, we we know what life looks like for you now, yep. and you're making a difference. How long out there. ago was it? How long have you been? January twentieth. Uh, what I consider my I take this from the military, but it's my alive day. You yeah. know, a lot of military personnel talk about the day that you know either they were hit by an IED or they were shot or something like that, and they yeah. consider that their alive day. That's truly my birthday. Is I think is January twentieth. We're talking about just oh of twenty twenty. Okay, so three yeah. years and three a years change. Yeah. How is your relationship with your mother now? Fantastic. She lives at Legacy Village in Sugar House. I see her minimum once a week. Um, We have a wonderful relationship. She spent all of those days in the hospital by my bedside. And really, you know, even though she has been the victim of my addiction, uh, she's my biggest cheerleader now. That's amazing. Yeah. I mean... Recovery is so amazing, not only for the addict that's in addiction, but for the loved ones around them. Yeah. You know, she got her son back. Yeah. And you know what? It's not what I love about and and part of the reason why I think you and I wanted to name the show Project Recovery and focus on recovery is it isn't just recovery from, you know, the addiction. Everything else recovers as well. Yeah. All of your relationships, your zest for life, meaning of life. Uh, purpose, those things recover too. And I can tell you've recovered your relationship with, with your mom. How about mm-hmm. other family members? Son is great. Sister is fantastic. Uh, I'm a grandfather now. What? So, yeah, I know, right? That's awesome. Yeah, my granddaughter Aurora. So it's it's uh, it's all of those things. And, and when you think, it's again, I go back to those moments where I would have never have had these. You know, my best friends took me to California for my 50th birthday. And it was, you know, I walked out on the edge of a jetty at six o'clock in the morning with the sunrise and just, I would have never have seen this. You know, those yeah. little moments, mm-hmm. I would have never have known all of this. Yeah. And I think back to my dad who died when my son was four, not getting to know his great granddaughter like my mom does, you know, and all of those things that are little bits of inspiration for me to continue and move on and stay in recovery. Uh, we haven't asked this from our guests in a while, but um, what do you utilize daily to help you in recovery? Is there something that if somebody's out there that they'd be like, hey, maybe this will work for me? I'll be honest with you. Um, every once in a while, I get the twinge. You know, I would honestly be honest with you and say it's at least once or twice a week. You get that just that little things spark in the back of your head. It's like, oh, maybe, you know, huh, I could, you know, mm-hmm. I could do this. I could do that. You know, it'd be different. This I time. still know where to go. You yeah. know, I, I, it's easily accessible for me. And it's funny because we were talking about food addiction coinciding or, or mm-hmm. those kind of yeah. eating addictions coinciding with it. For me, when I get to that point, 
I literally will go to a 7-Eleven or a grocery store and I will just buy the food that I love and I will go home and I'll put on Netflix or I'll put on some show and I'll stream it for a couple of hours and it gets me through those moments. So I think really if the an answer to your question is you need to find the thing that brings you the most amount of joy. You know, my son, my granddaughter, my mom, my sister, they bring me great joy. But cuddling up in that perfect, you know, blanket cocoon and pillow cocoon and having something streaming right in front of you with your favorite food, it brings me comfort in a way that helps me work through those those addictions. Well, that's that's interesting that you say that because I think that twinge is that brain wanting that pleasure again. Yeah. It's the pleasure centers of your brain yeah. have been really worked over over the years. Yeah. And it takes, you know, you're, you're three years sober, so congratulations. Yeah, that's amazing. impressive. Thank you. Um, but, you know, for years to come, you, I would imagine you, that will lessen. But but you're right. It is a physiological. It is a biological process. Yeah. Addiction isn't just a choice. There is a change that happens to your brain, and it takes a while for that for that brain to recover. And I I believe most people after the years go by, they they get to the point where it becomes very rare that they get the twinge. But good for you for finding a replacement pleasure. I appreciate that. <laughs> you know, the thing I've loved about your story, Todd, is you are a gregarious, outgoing guy. I can see why you were a hit on radio, and I can see why people fell in love with you. Um, and when you told your story, you told it with such life. But when you were talking about hurting your mom financially and yeah. some of the things, your demeanor changed. And yeah. I know that's how it really affected you. Yeah. Uh, and, and I just love how honest and earnest you've been with your conversation today. And I think uh, the world needs to hear it, and I can't wait for people to get a listen. Dr. Matt, what do you think? Uh, well, ditto to all of that. I mean, I, I, you would be great on the radio. Yeah, you, you, you're, you're fun. <laughs> this is actually the the most fun I've had in a while yeah. on the show with Todd. Yeah, just because he's got that, he's got that energy like he you understands. have. Yeah, yeah, it's very yeah. similar. Um, gratitude, I think, is what I'm taking away. Yeah, that as you were talking there at the end of your story, it's just the gratitude for the sunrise, the gratitude for the small things. Uh, I, I think that if a person needs something to get through a hard time, reach for gratitude. Gratitude will get us through a lot of our emotional hiccups that uh, we deal with. And and so uh, I, that's a good reminder for me. So thank you very much. I appreciate that. Yeah. And I just, I just want to say that I'm going to, you know, we have numbers now and I'm yeah, going to yeah. give you the number and I'm just going to say, you know what? Yeah. As far as that's concerned, um, we can just give my number out. If Perfect. somebody calls in and they want to talk to me, I would love to talk to them. I'd love to help through it. We will do it. You know, Absolutely. that one person. So that'd be great. You're amazing. Thank you for stopping by and sharing your story. Thank you for uh, hanging out with us today. And uh, in case you forgot, Project Recovery is what, Dr. Matt? It's a KSL podcast. Todd West is no longer. No, <laughs> no, gone. of this program are for informational purposes only. The program is not intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician, licensed therapist, or other qualified health provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition. Never disregard professional medical advice or delay in seeking it because of something you've heard on this program.
KSL does not recommend or endorse any specific tests, physicians, products, procedures, opinions, or other information that may be mentioned on the program. Reliance on any information provided on the program is solely at your own risk.